And turn with me at this time, if you would, to the book of Titus, chapter 2. It's, I guess, been a close to a month now since we've been in this little book of Titus and want to jump back into it this morning. I think most of us are well aware that words are really, really cheap, aren't they? Uh, we live in a world where what people say just really doesn't mean that much. In fact, we're often quite skeptical about what people tell us. I mean, for example, politicians say this and they promise that, and, uh, but much of what they say never comes to fruition. And frankly, we just kind of set our expectations really, really low in that department. Uh, the people we do business with, they say this and they promise that. And we think, yep, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, when that man pulls through and we said, I'll believe it. Or when, when that woman does this, I'll believe her. But until I see it, no. Words are one thing, actions are another. And so we have this thing we say, actions speak louder than words. And all of us know that by personal experience. We know that words are super, super cheap. You realize that as God's people, the church, uh, we are saying something. To the people all around us, we are constantly saying something. We proclaim the words of this book. I mean, we'd say, hey, we have this thing called the Bible. And everything from this cover to this cover, everything in here is really important. And it tells you how to live. And this is it. It's all right here. And we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus died for our sins on the cross. We say this message is everything and it will radically change your life. That's what we say with our mouths. But the real question is, do our actions back up what we preach? Does what we say, uh, actually, does what we do line up with what we say and what we proclaim? Actions speak louder than words. And often the world around us sees Christians behave very, very contrary to their beliefs. And on the island of Crete, where Titus was ministering, uh, he was working with and ministering to a bunch of young uh, churches who had people who had just come to Christ. They hadn't been saved all that long. They hadn't been Christians very long. And it was important for these young Christians to learn that, listen, Jesus didn't just die to save you from your sins. He died so that he could radically transform all of your life. The ins and outs of your everyday life. You see, when the gospel of Jesus Christ really lays hold of you, it radically transforms you in all kinds of little ways and big ways alike. And God wants your friends and neighbors to see that. Belief and behavior are woven together. You can't separate the two. I want you to look with me at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Paul writes, he says, but as for you, Titus, and, and, and he's making a contrast to what was going on at the end of verse, or chapter 1. He was talking about false teachers who were maybe preaching a different gospel. And we looked at that uh, several weeks now ago. But he says, Titus, as for you, teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine. You have this, this gospel message. You have this gospel truth. And when you teach it and people have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be the same people. What these false teachers taught, yeah, sure, they could stand up and teach every single week. They can try to teach people this and they can try to teach people that, but there's no power in that. These people don't change. But Titus, you stand up and you preach this message. You preach this truth. And God's people will be radically, radically changed, especially over a period of time. So Titus, unlike the false teachers, is to teach people to live in a way that befits the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible. 
Uh, over the next few weeks, we want to actually look at six different people that the gospel should change. It, cha- it should change everyone. And we begin today with men. Titus talks about older men in verse 2 and younger men in verse 6. Uh, men must apply the tr- God's truth to everyday life. So, men, this week is for you, older, older men, younger men. Uh, ladies, next week we'll look at what God says here for you. So you're kind of off the hook today. Uh, but don't worry, next week is coming. <laughs> uh, but men must apply God's truth to everyday life. I want to start reading Titus chapter 2, verse 1. I'll read down to verse 6. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Six people the gospel should change. We start first with older men. Older men must apply God's truth to everyday life. What should an older man transformed by the gospel look like? Well, we see that in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. If the gospel is radically impacting an older man, you're going to see that in his life. And you'll see it in all kinds of different ways in his everyday life. Some very, very practical ways. By the way, who falls into this category of an older man? If you're sitting here as a man, that is the question, isn't it? Which category do you fall into? It's hard to put an exact age on this, uh, but we're probably given a clue from how the older women are contrasted with the younger women in the next couple of verses. The younger women are women in the kid years. And the older women are past those years of life. So based on that, I think we could probably say that the older man in verse 2 is a man who's probably uh, past what we might call the kid years. Whether he has kids or not, that's kind of the age range that he would be in. Before we jump into how a godly older man should behave, though, let me just say a few words about older men and older women within the church in general. Uh, A couple years back, I got a book for Christmas called In Praise of Old Guys. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I really like the title. That's actually the problem with most of my books is I haven't read them yet, but I got a bunch. Maybe you can understand and sympathize. In Praise of Old Guys. What a great title. On more than one occasion, I've stood up here and I have celebrated the youth or the youthfulness of our church. Uh, perhaps sharing some statistics. I went back this week and just looked at our list of regular attenders and kind of crunched some numbers on that. 87% of our congregation is in what we might call the kid years age or younger. 87%. 45% of our congregation is university age or younger. And 40% of our congregation is grade six or younger. We are... Uh, In terms of age demographics, we are a very, very young church. And when I think about those numbers and and look at those, every time it makes me really excited. I see those numbers and they cause me to celebrate. And yet at the same time, those numbers also cause me to pray. That God would fill out the older age demographic of our church. 
godly older men and women who live on mission are a priceless gift to the body of Christ. And if you are in that age category, I just want to say we need you here. Desperately. And the verses next week, I think, are going to make that even more apparent as as women are talked about in the relationship between older women and younger women. When by the grace of God, you're the type of older man or older woman that this text describes, the eternal impact that you make is absolutely incredible. I'm not even sure we could quantify it. If you're an older man, what type of man does God want you to be? Well, older men should manifest the characteristics of maturity. And, and by the way, if you're a younger man, this is something you should be saying. This is, should be the direction that you're, you're aimed at and, and moving towards and growing towards. If you're an older man, first you need to be sober. Verse 2 says, older men are to be sober-minded. Now that word translated sober-minded could be used in the literal sense. Um of soberness, or it could be used metaphorically to refer to someone who's sober in mind or in their thoughts. Both of those are, are possible here, and both are important. So if it's used literally, an older man should be sober as opposed to drunk. Uh, you should, what that means is that you should be extremely cautious and careful uh, that you never even slightly forfeit what we might call your sobriety. That should always be about you. That should always be with you. Your sobriety. Remember, belief and behavior need to match. If this word's used metaphorically, an older man should be what we might call a sober-minded, meaning that he should be level-headed and restrained in his conduct. Uh, one Greek dictionary says uh, of this word self-controlled that in a number of languages it may be idiomatically rendered as one who holds himself in, or actually like what it says next, or one who has a halter on himself. I think that gives us a really helpful picture. A horse's halter, I'm not really a horse guy, so if I got my horse gear wrong, you can correct me later. Well, my understanding is a horse's halter is, is actually that headgear, what we see the horse wearing around its head. And it's used to hold, lee, or tie up the horse, I think typically from the ground. It's the piece of equipment by which the horse is held. Uh, Older men should have a halter on themselves. There should be something holding them back. Something by which they are held in and kept in line. Godly men realize some things. They realize things like this. You know what? Now is really not the time for me to say that. 20 years ago, I would have just said it. I would have just let it out. Now is not the time to say that. You know what? Now is just really not the time to do that. As much as I want to, nope. <laughs> that would not be helpful. That would not be godly right now. Or you know what? That battle is not worth fighting. My younger self, I would have jumped right in there. I would have gone straight for the jugular. We would have had that battle. Or he realized, you know what? That, that hill is not the hill worth dying on. It's just not. Even though I want to do this, I'm not going to. Godly older men know how to rein themselves in. And and second, you need to be dignified and worthy of respect. Verse 2 continues, older men are to be dignified. We could also translate that worthy of respect. You know, it's really one thing to look dignified. It's another thing to actually be dignified. 
what happens, I mean, it's really cool as, as men get older, they actually often start to really look dignified. You know, your hair goes from like black and you get that salt and pepper look and you're just really looking dignified. But it's one thing to look that way and it's a totally another thing to be that, right? God wants your deportment and behavior to be such that you actually evoke special respect. As an older man, you, like all of us, can say and do things that cause people to lose respect for you. And it happens really fast. If you're an older man, what might you be doing to to cause people to lose respect for you? And I think we could all ask that question of ourselves. You might think, as an older man, that in and of themselves, your age, and perhaps even your gender, demand that other people respect you. I mean, we do, after all, have a verse like Leviticus 19, verse 32, which says, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Let's be honest. Our society does not honor and respect uh, older and younger men like it should. I, I don't even know how we could debate that. It's a huge problem. But Titus chapter 2, verse 2 is saying, that you should live in such a way that people respect you, not just because you're an older or younger man, or an older or an older man. Uh, not, they shouldn't just respect you because of your age, but because your attitudes and your actions actually summon that, that respect. And so I think you want to be careful not to be entitled to respect, but to just simply live in a way that, that summons it. There was an older man that I used to go to church with who, the more and more I got to know him, I just respected him more and more and more. I never got to know him super well, but I would see him on most Sundays, maybe chat with him for a few minutes. I think we got to, together for coffee for a time or two. And every time I interacted with him, I was interacting with a man who was extremely gracious, extremely compassionate. And what probably stuck out to me more than anything was he was extremely joyful. And the more I got to know him, I found out some of his story about how his wife had died and some of the difficulties he had gone through. And yet he was just the real deal through and through. Every time I interacted with him, I walked away with an even greater level of respect. And that's how God wants it to be. Third, you need to be self-controlled. Verse 2 continues, older men are to be self-controlled. As we'll see uh, in the next few weeks, God mentions this characteristic for older men. And we'll see in just a moment, he mentions it for younger men. He mentions it for older women, younger women, and even Titus. This is a big deal, this self-control thing. And so as I talk about it in just a moment, uh, this is really for all of us. But he does mention it for both younger and older men. Uh, And so because it's going to come up with everybody, we'll wait just a minute until we come to that with the younger men. We'll pass over it for now. Uh, Fourth, you need to be in good health. Interesting. Finally, in verse 2, Paul writes, old men are to be sound. Do you know what that word means? It means healthy. Old men, older men, are supposed to be healthy. The opposite of that would be disease or sick. God is saying that it is extremely important that you be a healthy older man. Now you might say, well, that really stinks. 
because my health is not getting any better. In fact, it's rapidly, rapidly declining, and it's one of the greatest frustrations of the fact that I'm getting older. You know what God, what's more important to God than your physical health? It's your spiritual health. And that's exactly what he addresses here. For all of us, as we get older, our health starts to go like this. I mean, there are some people, it's like they make it to 90 and they they never skip the beat and they're just really strong. But for the average person, in time, their health goes down, doesn't it? But as your physical health is going down, what really should be happening is your spiritual health should be going up. Hopefully that's what's happening. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. I mean, You've you got a man who, who's getting older and simultaneously being beaten everywhere he goes. His body is broken down and falling apart. And Paul writes, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. That, what a state. Our outer self is wasting away. What a description of the physical body. Our out, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He's saying even though our physical body is in decline, the inward man is growing. is becoming stronger in the Lord. Are you spiritually healthy? God says that you need to be healthy in faith or what we might call trust in God. Verse 2 mentions being sound in faith. As an older man, God wants you to have a healthy trust in God. No matter what storms or waves may pass by in your life, God wants you to confidently trust and rest in him that he's in control, that he's on his throne, that he's sovereign. Is your faith, your trust in God in any way diseased? Also, as regards your health, you need to be healthy in love, love towards God, love towards others. Verse 2 mentions being sound in love. God wants you to put other people first and to love them. Obviously, that should be true of all of us, not just older men. Whether you're young or old, selfishness is not befitting to a Christian man or woman. I could see it being easy as a man gets older to think, you know what? These are, these are the me years. I mean, think about a man's life. You spend your whole life working hard and and trying to take care of your wife or your kids or whoever else is dependent on you. And and in that process, it's hard and it's difficult and it's stressful. And all of a sudden, you you start to enter this, this older phase of life. And maybe the kids are out of the house, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you, you, you retire, whatever. And I think it'd be very, very easy to think, you know what, I did all this for so many years. These years are for me now. And you know, I think the Bible would very loudly say, enjoy life. Enjoy your older years. But focus on loving other people. Focus on loving God. Make those years count. Is your love for others diseased? And also as regards your health, you need to be healthy in endurance or perseverance. Finally, verse 2 talks about an older man being sound in steadfastness. God wants you to bear up under difficulty and endure and persevere. Are you doing that? Maybe if you thought of these three aspects of spiritual health as muscles, something that's uh, built up in a sweaty gym or on a hard job site through exertion. 
as an older man, you've actually had a, a bit more time than, say, a younger man in the gym of life for these muscles to be built and to be cultivated, for the muscles of robust trust in God, uh, love for God and others, and endurance to be built. Throughout the decades of your life, I mean, just think back through. You have had, uh, you have felt the weight of many, many pressures coming on you. You've been in a lot of tough situations. You've been under a lot of stress. You've been through a lot by now. And it has been God's intent through all of those pressures to build within you the muscles of trust in God and endurance in the face of difficulty. And if you're a young man, God's in the process of doing that in your life right now too. At 14 or 15 years old, my cousin and I decided we were going to start lifting weights. You know, we were going to like put on a lot of muscle. We we're going to get really, really strong. We're all excited about it. So we hit the weights, you know, multiple times a week, three or four times a week. Like we're working out hardcore, trying to get muscle, trying to look really big and strong. Well, we must have done that for six months. And you know how it is if you're 15 years old, like you're like a lean, mean fighting machine, but muscle mass really isn't a thing. <laughs> like you could, you could run kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. You could lift weights all day long, but actually putting on mass, not easy to do. And I remember my cousin and I discovering one day this thing that we eventually labeled dad strength because my cousin, he, they had this, this gym set up in their basement. And one night he decides to ask his dad if he would lift weights with them. Well, his dad was like a VP at a, a, a trailer manufacturer. Like he had a desk job. He probably hadn't touched a weight in at least 10 or 20 years. And here we are, and we're like on the bench press, lift, trying to lift 90 pounds or 115 pounds. Dad pops on there, 140, boom. What? That, that, he never even works out. That's dad's strength, right? It's just how it works. And part of what it was, I mean, you, you're a young man. You just have, you're, you, you haven't fully physically developed and what it comes down to is really just time. If you're an older man, you should have what we might call some spiritual dad strength. Just by virtue of your time and your years of striving to walk with God. Or, or maybe we could call it some spiritual granddad strength if you're of that age. Because the world is watching Older men must apply God's truth to everyday life. As you look at older men in our society, maybe, maybe older men who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, old men are often characterized as being grumpy, being moody, often selfish, maybe even crass, whatever, like self-absorbed, all kinds of different things. But God's men should look so much different than that. By the way, to be an older man does not make you chopped liver. These really are your heavy-hitting years. They really are. Perhaps just in different ways than you might imagine. We turn now to a second group of people that the gospel should change. Younger men. Younger men must apply God's truth to everyday life. By the way, remember in ancient times, there was no such thing as adolescence. Uh, nowadays, we've we got this huge category of life called teenagers that i mean there were people who were teenagers in age but that category didn't exist in ancient times you were a child 
And then you became a man. There was nothing in between. In verse, so as we get to verse 6, and it, as it addresses younger men, it's probably talking about anyone between, say, maybe middle school and, I don't know, probably at least 40, maybe even older. What does God say to you? Well, look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Okay, as you look at verse 6, does anything strike you as odd uh, when you look at what God says to younger men compared to, say, what he says to older men, older women, younger women? Anything strike you as really, really odd? Everyone else is told like five or six different things that they should be or how they should behave. And it gets to young men and there's just one thing. Just one. Be self-controlled. You maybe think like young men just got off the hook. No, no, no. Like (laughs) this is a big thing and it encompasses a ton. This is where it's at for younger men. Young men, you need to be self-controlled. And remember, this this thing of self-control, it shows up for almost everyone mentioned in this text. But we want to focus for a moment on young men. If there's anything that a young man struggles with, it's self-control. And listen, if you're a young man, whether you're a teenager or you're around university age um, or a young married man or married with kids or you're a single man, whoever you are in this younger man category, nothing, absolutely nothing will destroy your life and hurt those around you like a lack of self-control. Nothing. It will undo you and it will cause irreparable damage. This is where the battle rages for you. Your lack of self-control will wreck your most cherished relationships. And here's what happens. God brings some beautiful young woman into your life. You love her. You think she's incredible. You want to marry her. Perhaps you do even marry her. And your uncontrolled anger, your uncontrolled lust or laziness, will pierce through that woman like an arrow and will hurt her in in ways you wouldn't even be able to believe or imagine. And you'll leave her heart in a hundred or a thousand pieces on the floor. Your lack of self-control will wreck your home. You know, as you look at God's plan, it's God's plan, generally speaking, that your home and your family be led by a biblically strong and just steady man. When that happens, your wife and your children will be so richly blessed. I mean, really. The stability that that, that you will bring to everyone around you, the the way that you will bless them. But when you lack self-control, what you actually do is you light your own house on fire. You light your own house on fire with your uncontrolled words, attitudes, and actions. You're the one that puts it up in flames. Your lack of self-control will also destroy your career. You may not want to do hard things. You may not want to work hard. You may just, I just want to be comfortable. Young men often lack self-control to, to be reliable, even in very basic ways. Some things as simple as just showing up to work on time and working hard while they're there. They often lack self-control to stick it out, so they work for six months and quit because, well, I don't really like it anymore. 
Lack of self-control will destroy your reputation, your name as a young man matters. We're told even a child is known by his behavior, by his doings. You can rack or simply never develop your good name and reputation if you lack self-control. You can destroy your finances. Uh, Young men often lack self-control with their money. You buy things you can't afford and and you don't need, but you want them and you need them now and somebody else has them and and you need it too. I know a young man who as soon as he turned 18, I I don't know, I think he had a job. I'm not even sure, but if he did, it was a very, I think, basic entry-level job. And as soon as he turned 18, he went out and bought a brand new car and financed the whole thing. What? You're putting yourself in the hole before you ever even get started, but you needed that brand new shiny car today because you're 18 and you're a man now. What? But these are the type of things that... (laughs) We do. (laughs) And all of us could tell our own personal stories that we'd rather just keep to ourselves. When Paul says, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, he's he's pretty much covering it all with where our struggle is at. Young man, listen, this is where your battle is at. And this is where your battle is actually going to be for decades. It will, this is where the battle will rage for decades. If you're a teenage young man, I guarantee you, your dad is in the same battle you are. It just looks a little bit different. You cannot be a slave to your passions, desires, and appetites. You must learn to say no and to, to live within the boundaries that God has ordained for you. When it comes to exercising self-control, I think that young men tend to struggle in a, a few realms in particular. And if you're a younger man, uh, trust me on this one, and I think every other man in this room would testify to this, you're not alone in your struggles. Okay, this is where we're all living. But you have to fight these struggles by the grace of God. Young men tend to struggle with self-control in, in a couple of realms, I think, in particular. One would be sexual purity and lust. Generally speaking, I think if we're honest, uh, younger men... T- tend to think about sex and think about it a lot. Is that bad? No. Absolutely not. Sex is a wonderful thing that God created. It is good. It is God's design. It's a wonderful thing. It's not some taboo subject that we shouldn't talk about. It is good. It's really what we do with those thoughts and and where we take them. Do you take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? Or, or do you end up finding yourself indulging in pornography? Or do you pursue sex outside of marriage? Again, this is where the struggle is. Another realm that I think young men, younger men struggle in is delayed gratification, just, just across the board. As a young man, you might struggle to have the self-control to wait on almost anything. Self-control often involves uh, denying yourself pleasures in this moment so that you can enjoy them at the proper time later. Sexual pleasures, the, the acquisition of possessions, whatever it is, you have to learn to wait on God's timing. You don't have to have it now. And yet as young men, we say, I need, I want, and I'm going to go get it. Another realm that I think is super common, is the realm of anger. You know, anger is 
a very common problem in men that needs brought under the control of the Spirit of God. I never thought I struggled with anger. I thought like that was not one of those sins that was really that much of an issue for me. And then all of a sudden, after getting married and having kids, my wife was saying to me, Nate, I think you're angry. No, I'm just passionate. <laughs> no, actually, it's a thing in my life that I have to the, the wrestle with and, and seek to be brought under this, the control of the Spirit of God. What happens? You become angry at your wife. You become angry at your kids, angry at your coworkers, angry at life because things aren't going your way. And you need self-control. Another realm, idolatry. Sometimes, as younger men, we can idolize comfort and just be lazy. We don't have this self-control to be disciplined. But there's actually a flip side of that, I think, for a younger man as well. On the flip side, you can idolize things like uh, money and success and wealth and a career or whatever it might be. And here's what happens for, for some of us. It's like, okay, I want to go there. And I want to do that. And I want to succeed over here. And what we do, it's just, we're going down the highway at 140 kilometers an hour. Just, it's like we just turned the switch off and we're just going. And it's, it, it, there's this fundamental disconnect somewhere where we see something and we go after it 100%, not considering anything else around us, and things get very out of balance. Because we don't have the self-control to see the big picture and go, that's an idol. I cannot pursue maybe my passions to that degree. We could talk about other things like our words, our use of time, substances, and many other things. The battle for young men is self-control. Do you know what you won't find in very many churches across North America? You won't find very many young men passionate about the gospel, zealous for good works, zealous to live godly and passionate about learning how to live this way, learning how to live self-controlled. I mean, just if you were to just go to the average, say, college and career ministry at a church, you will probably actually find a lot of young women, young ladies. They've got jobs. They're working hard. They're doing this and that, and they want to follow Jesus. They want to study the Bible. They want to grow. But you probably find very few young men in the average church, you'll see lots of, of young women and moms coming to church with all their kids in tow. But the husband's not there. Dad's not there. Because this is not a priority to him. Where are all the men? I, I don't think there's any question that there is a manhood crisis in our world. And you know what? That crisis, it's in the church of Jesus Christ too. But you know what? Do you know what the gospel does? Do you know what the good news of Jesus Christ does? It builds men. It cultivates and develops godly men. Jesus does that. And as the gospel permeates a man's life, it builds him up. It makes him into the man that God wants him to be. And my prayer would just be, may Beaumont Baptist Church be full of growing gospel men. Not perfect men, not men who have it all together. That's not going to be us. We're never going to get to where we want to fully be. But hopefully men who say, you know what? Jesus Christ saved me. I'm not who I once was and I'm really struggling, but I want to grow. 
I want to live for Jesus. May Beaumont Baptist Church be full of growing gospel men who are zealous to live as God would have them. You know, the world is watching. And it's so important that younger men apply God's truth to everyday life. If you're a younger man, an older man, if you do that, you're going to look so different everywhere you go. From your relationships with your friends to your workplace, you will be so different. I think it's um, very important after what I would call a behavior type of message like this. This is really a, a message that says you need to be something, right? You need to behave a certain way. I think it's extremely important after a message of this type that you be left with hope and actually be pointed to the gospel. We know that the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth as a man. And he came and he lived perfectly without sin. He was what we might call righteous. And he came to earth and he gave his life on the cross. Why? To satisfy the wrath of God over your sin and to pay the price for that in full so that you wouldn't experience God's wrath for all of eternity. And the Bible makes it very clear for all of us who, who have, have done something very specific, repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, we've been made new. We've been forgiven of our sins, granted eternal life in heaven, but we have been made new. And it, this all starts with a man recognizing Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He is the answer. You say, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. I am not who you want me to be. In so many ways, God, would you forgive me of my, my sins? I trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's enough to save me. And I'm going to trust in him alone, not my good works. And at that moment, the spirit of God comes and dwells within a man, young or old. Not just men, anyone who puts their trust in Christ, but, but for where we're at right now, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within a man. And he makes him new. And I want to leave you here just with a, a couple, two words of hope for men. First, you are not alone in your struggles. We're all in the same battle, struggling more or less with the exact same things. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I think what happens oftentimes as younger men, older men, it's like, eh, I don't really want anyone to know. Like, probably no one else is struggling with this. And it, we're all in the same battle. Do you know what your pastor is battling with? As I would like to at least put myself in the younger man category. I think that, that's where I fit right now. Do you know what I'm battling and have been for a very long time? It's self-control. I mean, that is where the battle is at. We're in the same battle. Don't fight it alone. You need your brothers in Christ. So you're not alone in your struggles. And second word of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to those struggles. We've got to look at least briefly at verses 11 to 14 because chapter 2 is really a unit. It's not just do all this, be all that, behave this way, good luck. No, no. Verse 11 begins with the word for. It's offering explanation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training or teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly, 
and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ teaches or instructs us to live as we've seen. According to verse 14, actually, the gospel makes a man zealous or passionate for good works. It makes us zealous to live as the type of men described in the previous verses. It gives us a passion for that. But it's not just the gospel trains or teaches us to live this way. It actually helps us. The gospel is not just a teacher. You might also think of the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, you might think of it as a well, a a resource, a well from which we drink God's grace. And you know what God wants you to do as a man? He wants you to lower that bucket down into the well and bring up the water, the grace of God from the gospel that you so desperately need to live this way. The gospel becomes not only the motivation, but the grace and power to live the way that God wants you to live. Because the world is watching, men must apply God's truth to everyday life. God saved you so that you'd be a radically different man. And when the gospel radically impacts a younger man or an older man, he starts to look like what we see in these verses. And if you look at your life and go, (laughs) it's not what I'm seeing. You know what needs to happen? You need to go, well, for one, you may just simply need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ as your Savior. That's where it all starts. And if you've done there, done that, what needs to happen now is you have to immerse yourself in the gospel, in this message, studying it, pondering it, meditating on it, cherishing it. And as it permeates your soul and your life, these things are what's going to show up. The gospel radically transforms men. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me at this time?